This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. All right, Rebel HR listeners, extremely excited for this week's show. Uh, we have a ton of things to dig into uh, with our guest this week, Thad Price. Thad is the CEO of Tauru, the award-winning talent attraction platform. Uh, the um, With more than 17 years of experience in online recruiting and the job search vertical, Thad is recognized thought leader in the HR and TA space. He genuinely believes that there is no industry that plays a more integral role in the economy. Use his cross-functional experience to turn client feedback into innovative products that help companies hire better. Talru is a disruptor, just like us Rebel HR practitioners. And uh, prior to joining Talru, he was the VP of Business Development at Job.com. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you, Kyle and Molly. Thank you. Thank you for joining us and taking some time out of your, I'm sure, extremely hectic schedule trying to help people understand what in the world is going on and how do I solve this problem? <laughs> you got it. It is definitely um, a new world, a new world. Absolutely. So um, we're going to dive into a, to a number of things today. And, uh, you know, Molly and I uh, are here uh, you know, honestly, coming from the standpoint of, OK, how do we solve this problem? So we're going to dive into that a little bit. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to ask, how did somebody with an economics degree get into the talent acquisition tech space? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, I will say that, you know, by having an economics degree, you, you know, you focus a lot on the labor market and the labor market drives so much of the economy. So I think that that was the stars aligned in focusing on, you know, HR and talent acquisition. So um, I went to school in a small town in Virginia, um, Fredericksburg, Virginia, right outside of D.C., uh, graduated from University of Mary Washington. And there I started with the startup. And the idea, you know, with that startup at the time uh, was building products to help job seekers find jobs more effectively and help employers recruit. And so my entire experience has been, you know, in this industry of trying to ensure that we're, you know, helping job seekers as much as possible. And of course, aligning with what's important for employers. And that's the right talent, right? And great, great people. I say it, you know, so many times uh, in our walls, our virtual walls today uh, at Tauru is great people grow great companies. And I think it's that that drives the economy. And when you help, when you help companies find great people, you know, that's the heartbeat and that's what drives revenue outcomes. And, you know, if, you know, as I've chatted with other practitioners in this space and leaders in this space over the last couple of years, what's exciting is this, you know, this idea and this movement that we've been talking about for a number of years of, you know, HR and talent acquisition, acquisition being a revenue center versus a cost center. It's happening, folks. It's here, right? We've all been talking about it. This, it, if when you find the right people and you hire the right people, that drives business outcomes. And it's exciting that we're it's unfortunate it's taken a pandemic, but it's exciting mm-hmm. that we're in this place today of really thinking about outcomes and thinking about the strategic function of talent acquisition in HR. You mentioned it, but do you feel like that's what caused it was the pandemic? Is that what drove it forward or what else are you seeing? Yeah. So, 
early on, we've been seeing this kind of movement in, in how, in thinking about, um, thinking about talent as a strategic advantage in so many ways. And it, it's been my experience that, you know, certain companies have different views on talent and the strategic focus that talent brings them. However, in the last 12 months, there hasn't been a boardroom across the U.S. or the world that hasn't been faced with making tough decisions around talent and recruiting. And I think there's this enlightenment that essentially has happened, and that is how important, you know, talent and the right talent is for organizations. So, I, you know, I would say it started, and we've been seeing movement in that direction, and it's all accelerated and accelerated when we're having to shorten our hours if we can't find the right talent we need. We're having to close stores or locations when we can't find the talent you need. That costs money. And I think that is this idea of, well, if I'm not, I'm now not generating the revenue I was generating because I can't, um, because I can't find the right talent. Um, so I think it's, um, I think there's this shift's been building. And I think that, you know, this experience in the last, you know, this experience of the last few years has really kind of shifted a lot of thought process and also job seeker behavior as well. You know, what we're seeing from job seekers and what we uh, survey from job seekers, you know, pay is, of course, one of the key, you know, components and key factors that um, that a job seeker is looking at. But the second is flexibility. Mm-hmm. And as an organization, you know, we have to we have to have conversations with our leaders, uh, tough conversations in some cases about we may not be able to provide flexibility today, but what are we going to do tomorrow, six months from now, 12 months from now, 24 months now to ensure we're you know building the foundation of, for flexibility? And that's the I think that, you know, you're seeing that and you're seeing you continue to see that see that shift in what what job seekers and team members want. And I mm-hmm. think that's we have to address you know, we have to address those um, those factors. You know, one, and Kyle, I'm sure you can relate to this as well, but I think a lot of HR practitioners are like, yep, I that flexibility piece, that makes a lot of sense if you are working in an office building on a computer nine to five. I don't care where you work, but there's so many of us that, like you had said, have retail stores or have, um, you know, we're in manufacturing where we have to have people there to to produce whatever we're producing. How do we bring that flexibility in our world where we have stores, we have hours that have to be attended? I like, I can't figure that piece out. That's a tough one. And you're absolutely right. You know, I would say you almost have to treat this as an entirely different labor pool. Um, a great example in, you know, we're in, we're based in Austin, um, Austin, Texas, of course, and a company, one of the top, uh, grocery chains in Texas is HEB. Great brand, terrific experience. And I guess probably about three to four years, probably about four years ago now, HEB um, uh, acquired a company in town called Favor. In Favor was an on-demand app that allowed anyone to just, you know, bring you something, <laughs> get, get something done for you, you know, run, you know, do a favor for me. And, um, they they purchased that company to basically create this on-demand experience for delivering groceries to, you know, San Antonio and Austin residents and wherever HEB has has a presence. And that was smart. And then they treated it as a separate labor pool 
the tech stacks are different. The experience is different. And I think, I think that's how we have to start thinking about this. You almost, I would encourage businesses to almost, you know, try to AB test different technologies and different services to try to reinvent what this looks like tomorrow, you know, and what the future looks like for an ind- individual business. Cause every business is different. Mm-hmm. But I think if you have this North star of, we have to get to a point where people can have flexibility. I think first is getting that buy-in and then trying to figure out, okay, how can we incubate a process, a different process um, that we could potentially use to be effective in the future to embrace the idea of flexibility. And I think this, a lot of the businesses that I've seen, another great example is Target. Target bought a company called Shipped a number of years ago. And Shipped was, you know, an app that you use to deliver anything. <laughs> and so Target had this great, um, you know, could pull from this great talent pool of Shipped drivers and they could stand up their own delivery service. So I think as business businesses, we have to start thinking about what that looks like. And that's not easy. But I think strategically, as we move from this kind of tactical, I need to hire these people now. I need to get butts in the seat you know, which is what, which is a lot of what we do. We've got to really think about that strategic future and what that looks like and how we can embrace, you know, what job seekers are really looking for. And if you can break through and embrace what job seekers are really looking for, you know, you've created a great experience and you've created a way to widen your talent pool. Otherwise, you know, may, you know, may suffer. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, it's a really interesting thought process. And I was just kind of thinking through, you know, separating the talent pools and thinking differently. Um, you know, I mean, my, my, you know, the honest experience is the positions that I don't have specifically listed in a position, flexible work options, you know, or potentially, you know, you know, some remote work available. You know, there are some positions that are required to be face to face. But in, in my business, many of those are, you know, those essential positions that, you know, people are actually putting things together. You know, I, I don't have flexibility, but in the positions that I do, I, I have to have it in there or I just mm-hmm. won't get applicants, period. You know, it, it's yeah. hard enough to get applicants for the positions I don't have that option for. <laughs> so, yeah. Try not to make it harder on myself here. Or even well, changing the work week. Like I've seen a lot of employers that are going full time is now 32 hours a week or, um, you know, three, four days a week. So I think there's some things they can do with schedules as well. Yeah. You know, and the other thing I would, the other thing I would think of this is that it all starts with your, with your workplace culture. I mean, that's, you know, regardless of flexibility and, you know, all these features, you know, that we think about and what we can offer, what we can offer talent, it all starts with, you know, your, your company culture and, and that conversation around that. Because even if you do offer these things and you have a toxic culture, it's only a matter of time. And, and, and then you, of course, you have a retention problem. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, it's, 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 it's tricky. <laughs> yeah. That is the, uh, the, the million dollar question, right? I, and I distinctly remember earlier in my career, I was, um, working for a company, uh, actually one of the companies you already mentioned. Um, but, um, I had a great mentor and, you know, I was complaining about a retail setting. I was complaining about, um, you know, I can't find people and geez, it's just so hard. And, you know, this was, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, so my head things have changed, but, um, 
But he, he looked at me and he, and he just asked me the right question. And he said, what if you just kept the people that were quitting? And it mm-hmm. was like, oh yeah, that is the really the root cause here. Is this? <laughs> oh yeah. I definitely think all HR professionals should be looking at, okay, how many individuals have I lost even in the last year or even the last two, three years? Like you start looking at those numbers. It's like, oh, it's crazy. And why? Is this, is this a staffing right. issue or is this a retention issue? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, so then and I want to, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, in a lot of cases, it's not money. It's, it's more about, you know, the outlook, you know, it's about the, in some cases, the emotional connection. Um, there are so many drivers of what it means. And I think, you know, companies have to look at that. Companies have to ensure in this, especially in this situation, we're doing right by having the right managers in place. Um, the right team members in place because, you know, that's, that's, that's important, especially with, especially with new managers. So one of the things I want to dig into, and I'm going to, you know, for a guy with an economics degree and, and, uh, and you have, you also have, I mean, you have a, a really interesting perspective on the labor market because you are, you're, you're the one out there actually hearing what some of these job seekers want and helping companies kind of, kind of piece that all together. Um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's been really interesting, uh, in my seat to watch people who will, I mean, they will quit a job without having something lined up. And, um, you know, it's, that's, that's a new, uh, thing in, in the job market, at least in, in my experience. And so as you, as you take this view and as you're looking at that, at the labor market, and and understanding what these job seekers want, you know what what are you seeing out there? What what is kind of the prevailing market sentiment? Yeah. So when we started looking at this at the labor market and dissecting what was happening and you know why employers are having problems finding talent now, you know more than ever in many cases, um, there are a couple things that we're seeing. The first is. In the last probably 12 to 24 months, um, the, you know, we've seen a, a large amount of baby boomers simply retire more than we have in the last, you know, three, four years. And the reason, the reason is this kind of rational behavior of my house is worth more than it's ever been worth. My 401k is somewhat plentiful and I'm just tired. I'm tired of having to deal with, with everything going on. And so I'm out, right? I'm out and I'm, you know, I'm going to reset my lifestyle if I need to, and I'm retired. And so that was the first thing that first kind of shock, I would say that we've been seeing from a labor market perspective. And I will say, I don't think there's one of these things we can absolutely point to, but it's a lot of things that are um, acting together. And so I think that's one of them. The second is this idea that I was sharing earlier about flexibility. So if you think probably four to five years ago, um, there was a movement, there'd been a movement in the labor market, um, for some, you know, into some of the marketplaces. And what I mean by that, you know, Uber and Lyft and, you know, what's referred to is, is kind of the gig, um, kind of the gig marketplaces were forming. And people were working when they wanted to work and they can turn on the app when they wanted to work and turn off the app when they didn't want to work. And I had been watching because I, I believe that there was this kind of, there was this impact to certain, to certain, um, 
a certain section of the labor market by these marketplaces. And so suddenly then you had the, you know, then you had the pandemic where companies like DoorDash, Grubhub, um, I mentioned Favor in Texas, um, just Instacart just had a surge in demand and changed how consumers behaved. I think of my mom and dad. They never used a delivery app before. But they haven't been to a grocery store now. They're in their mid-60s. They haven't been in a grocery store for almost two years now. And that has that's a forcing function that changed the way that buyers behave. With that means there's more orders coming through these marketplaces. And there needs to be labor to be able to support those orders and deliver those orders. Um, by the way, in that situation too, in that situation as well, you're somewhat socially distancing through being your own boss working through the app. Yes, you're going in to pick up food or what or orders, but it's definitely different than um, what what those folks may have been doing otherwise, right? From a um, from a distancing perspective. So you know, if you think that the key, the, the the key for job seekers is I want flexibility. And now suddenly there's a lot more in a lot more demand in these marketplaces to deliver goods and services. Then you have you have a new way in which you're working. And, you know, when you're thinking about those hourly roles, let's say now you have a new competitor that maybe didn't exist before and is growing. And so I think that that's the second thing that is, you know, that's, that's creating, you know, some um, some challenges. And the third is just, I would say, all of the activity, the increase in demand, consumer demand has just created an entire uh, increase in jobs. And people have the power of choice, more choice than they've ever had. And I think those I think those three, you know, kind of three ideas are what's driving what we've been seeing from job seekers over, over the last probably 12 months. Yeah, it's fascinating that, you know, I'm thinking about the context of, uh, you know, the kind of the gig economy. Um, you know, if I just think about this personally, so my, my wife's job went fully remote in the midst of the pandemic. They actually closed the local office building. Well, they're not going to reopen that office building. They just saved a bunch of money. And oh, by the way, they saw, you know, revenue and profits increase. So why in the world would they, why would they quit doing what was working? Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and I will tell you as well that there's no way my wife's going back into an office right now. You know, if they were to come back to her and say, you need to go back to an office, she'd be like, okay, I'll go work for the competitor that doesn't make anybody go back in the office. Right. And so it's the, the marketplace has just totally shifted. And, um, Molly, you are in the, in the retail space and you're, you're certainly, I, I would say, you know, competing with the gig economy. What have you seen? Um, yeah, we've seen just that. We've seen a lot of people have a lot of choices. Um, our problem, we, we've been getting a ton of applicants, which I've heard from a lot of other people that's not the case. But we're also getting no show to interviews or people are will say yes. And then they'll have, you know, 10 different offers by the time we're through the interview process. And then they're taking other offers and then we're competing. And um, it's a lot of moving pieces. So, yes, we're seeing people are having choices. Um, and we're also seeing our competitors offering huge sign on bonuses, um, all these cool things. And we're just like, so we're constantly evaluating how we keep up. I, I I like to think of this idea of the the 
you know, we've, there's this idea of the clearing wage, which is the wage in which you need to pay in order to be effective with whatever else is out there in the market. And I like to think of that is, I like to think of that now as, um, the clearing opportunity because I think that the expectation of pay is still important on, on the minds of job seekers, but I think they've reset work-life balance you know, to be essentially more important in some cases than pay. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think this idea of clearing opportunity is like, what does the path look like? You know, what type of flexibility will be provided to me? I think all of those things are now more important to job seekers than ever before. And I think that's just because of, you know, what, what we've all experienced you know, over the last few years. For sure. And we've actually, we've cut our hours down a little bit to, to provide some more of that balance, you know, getting people out of there early as much as we can do in retail anyway. Um, but we're also seeing where people have a set wage in their mind. Um, and it's always the same wage. So I definitely know that's, that's what's out there. Our challenge, um, we're commission based as well. So we have a base wage and then commission and, it, it creates a little bit harder challenge to get people to understand, especially if they've never worked off of commission to like what their potential is. So at our level, we're almost selling an opportunity, right? Absolutely. So that's a, that's a great segue, Molly, because I want to dig into something with you, dad. And I know that you've, you've done some content and, and part of Talru's focus is getting, getting companies to think in this way. But, um, how, how can we as recruiters, Start to think like marketers and start to capture the hearts and minds of these job seekers that have all the, all the power and, and authority to make whatever decision they want as it relates to where they work. Great, great question. I think, I think there are a couple of strategies. Um, the first strategy that I would say, uh, more of a low tech strategy is how quickly are you responding to your applicants? You know, when we think about this, um, it's just applicants are like a sales, like a sales and marketing lead today. And there have been a number of studies about when you leave a lead and you don't contact the lead as fast as possible, there's a deterioration of impact and value. Um, you know, I think it's, and it is, I forgot what the actual number is, but there's an order of magnitude of ensuring that within the first couple hours when someone you know, submits the sales lead, you're contacting them. Um, this, the same should be for, for applicants because, you know, they have more, they have more choice than ever and, um, it becomes challenging. And that's challenging for a lot of recruiting teams out there because of everything else that's asked. <laughs> and so it's a, it's a tall order, right? It's, yeah. it's easier said than done. It's a tall order. And so I would, I always encourage, customers to think about little things like, can we beef up our autoresponder? Do we have an autoresponder on? Can we work with our IT teams to set an autoresponder to an email address where some someone is applying? Um, are there ways that we can look at our competitors and, you know, dig into maybe what, um, you know, what, what job seekers are sharing on Glassdoor, for an example, and call those out in the autoresponder, just as like simple things. Like if someone is saying, you know, this company doesn't have flexibility and you do offer flexibility, then you should call it out because you know that people are, you know, looking and making a lot of different choices, you know, from a, from a, 
from a rational behavior standpoint, if we know it's important for people. So I would almost think of it as in, in sales and marketing, what you typically do is you build battle cards and the battle cards are, you know, is like a simple PowerPoint that, you know, you just kind of, you look at your competitors and you basically, um, you basically pair up your features with, you know, their features so that you have some talking points. And I would encourage all companies to do that. I would encourage all companies to think about, okay, who am I competing for, for talent? And how can I have a focused effort around what's important? What am I learning? What can I gather? And how can I ensure that I'm selling those key pieces that my competitor may not be selling or may not be offering in those conversations indirectly? So, you know, I think the idea of like talent battle cards and autoresponders and all these things that we can do to help connect with the candidates may be a way that is is not adding another tech stack to the already complicated, you know, talent acquisition suite. <laughs> um, so those are those are two two suggestions that I think um, that that should be fairly easy to implement. Yeah, I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about it in the context of what we just talked about. So, you know, we, we just talked about competing with the gig economy. And so I'm thinking about this. So, you know, as an employer that let's say I'm, I'm seeking for a retail worker or I need, you know, I need somebody in person. Um, but I can offer a little bit of flexibility, but I can't, I'm never going to be able to offer as much flexibility as, as DoorDash or Uber or whatever, right? You're just mm-hmm. not going to compete on that. So, okay, I give up on that. So then is the focus then, okay, we have flexibility here, but here's the differentiation between us and DoorDash. Like you actually get to work with coworkers. You actually get this connection have- to society or something along those lines. <laughs> you can be a manager. You can, right, you, right. there's upward mobility here, right? Yeah. All of those things that are important because, you know, if, if someone is just looking for a transactional relationship, you know, uh, I'm not sure if that's, you know, I'm not sure if that's, that may get you to a certain extent, but I think that, I think that a transactional relationship isn't necessarily what all companies want. I think companies want someone that is going to, I, I think someone that's going to dig in, build their career, you know, aspire to be more than what they are and work hard to get there. And so I think the idea of creating, you know, testimonials around folks that have maybe worked up in the organization is a great way or a video with with team members that have worked up in the organization is a great way to connect to the people. When I, you know, and when I shared earlier about um, the clearing opportunity to speak to that clearing opportunity, it's not all about money it's not about all these other things. It's about what this company can offer you and how, and how we make that happen. Absolutely. Battle card. I love that idea. We can do it, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> but, but that's, but it's a great example of something that sales and marketing teams traditionally, you know, work together on mm-hmm. and how we need to think about that in talent acquisition, because you know, if you think about the journey of a job seeker and you think about all the touch points that happen, it's so similar to a sales process and a marketing process. So think of think of like um, think of marketing and sales. So, you know, you generate a marketing qualified lead. Someone has been to a site and filled out a form and your marketing team has now qualified that form and said, OK, this is someone that we should talk to. 
And so then the sales team talks to that, that lead, that individual. And then on a, you know, appointment is set. And through that, maybe an MSA is sent or a contract is sent and the customer either buys or doesn't buy. Think of it with applicants. Someone submits the resume. They submit a form. They say, Hey, they're raising their hand and say, I want to come work for you. Then you're you, either your technology or your recruiters are screening that lead, that applicant. And then you're setting in a phone, you're setting a phone call to basically, um, you know, chat about qualifications. Then you're working with the hiring manager. And then what happens is we have, we either send, send an offer or we don't and they either sign or they don't. And that's so similar to a sales and marketing experience. And that's why I think that there's, you know, when you break it down, you know, to that journey process that happens, I think there's a lot we can learn. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot we can learn and how we can borrow things that are, you know, appropriate for recruiting and appropriate for talent acquisition. Well, you're speaking right to the heart of me. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. if Molly knows this, but my my undergrad degree was in marketing. And when and and I had nothing to do with HR. Like it was like I tell people HR found me, right? Like it's like which which actually ended up the person got fired and they're like, Oh, you here, you like people, you do this, right? You know, yeah. go hire ninety people for the holidays, by the way. But for me it was like it was like that that's the equation, right? It's like, oh, I just have to recruit, which means yeah, it's just marketing. I have to but the product is the job and you know, the right. customer is the is the job seeker. Um and, but you just have to make the right connection, right? So, so as we think about the kind of the, the sourcing, you know, is, is the sourcing of candidates like where we actually post and the channels that we go through, is that actually secondary to the kind of the value proposition that we're putting in front of them? Or, or how do you think about that? The first thing I would say is we have to understand, you know, we have to understand the job, right? And, you know, there's the, we like to think of it as there's the rec and there's the job advertisement. And I think these are very different in how we think about it. And, you know, the job advertisement is what tries to attract, you know, a candidate. And we raise our hands and say, Hey, we're looking to hire someone. And candidates then raise their hand and they say, I want it to be me because they apply and they research and this journey, this journey happens. I think that, um, there is an experience around a candidate looking at a job, then researching the company. And then once they're researching the company, then they're making the decision if I want to apply or not. And I think that that is um, a big piece of it. But I would say to your question, when you think of you know primary versus secondary, I think, you know, uh, what's the old I guess the, it was, is it garbage in, garbage out? And so, you know, if you, if you, if you're in a situation where your job ad isn't speaking to the benefits as much as possible of a company and, you know, you're not being as transparent as you should be with the true value proposition of working for that company, then you're not going to have as much success advertising and attracting talent. And I always, you know, I share that it's important to be as transparent as possible in the job advertisement because when you aren't, they're going to find out. They're going to do their homework. They're going to research. They're going to ask friends. They're going to, you know, try to research your company. So it's just important to just be as transparent as possible in the job ad. And then once you're in a situation where you feel like, okay, you know, Kyle, going back to your marketing days, this is my ad copy. 
right? So yeah. this is the ad copy that we want to showcase, and this is how we want to ensure that we're aligned. Then you can start kind of the idea of, all right, where am I going to source? And, you know, how do I, how do I invest in sourcing and, and where do I go and how do I make sure that it's efficient and it's effective for my, for my recruitment marketing spend? I think that's so right. And, and to, you know, to circle back to where we began this conversation, you know, if that transparency isn't there and people don't have a realistic job preview and they've been sold something for lack of a better term, um, and then they get there and it's not what they thought they were buying, guess what? They're not going to stick around very long. You've just tarnished your image and your integrity in their mind. And yeah, so, um, very, very well said. Mm-hmm. So that being said, like I, I think I said before I hit recording, we're not even going to scratch the surface on some of this <laughs> stuff because this is all like, I'm just totally nerding out right now, but you are the CEO of an extremely busy, uh, HR recruiting, uh, tech <laughs> solution. So we are going to shift gears and go into the rebel HR, uh, flash round. Uh, Question number one, what is your favorite people book? I would say my favorite people book as of late, uh, as of late or, or any to you, I would say probably I'm going to go with a time honored classic and that's one minute manager. So just a time honored classic is one of the first books, you know, when I was um, managing folks that, that I read and it just, there are so many keys to that you know, to that book that you can use in your everyday life. So it's a classic for me. All right. Perfect. I have actually not read that book, which I'm kind of ashamed of it, but uh, it's good. I got to put it on the list. I've heard good things. Question number two, who should we be listening to? Well, you know, as I said, when we were talking earlier, we should all be listening to our partner and that's always the case. (laughs) (laughs) add a little humor to this conversation, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know, I think that, you know, an individual that I listen to a lot is, is, is Branson. And I do that Richard Branson, because I do that because there's a good balance between performance. And I think there's a good balance between performance, humility, and an emotional connection. Um, and from a leadership perspective, I think that's so important more today than ever. And, and the connection to the team members. Um, so, you know, I, I really, I really think that that's, um, important. You know, I'm reading another, I'm reading another book right now, um, about, you know, that was, um, a Netflix based on Netflix. And I think the name of it is, um, I actually have it right here. No rules, um, no rules, rules Netflix. And, you know, it's the idea of reinvention of, of, of Netflix and, you know, what happened when they moved from DVDs to streaming and what it is today and, you know, the focus on building a high performance culture. And I think that's really important, but you have to ensure the emotional connection to your team members when you're moving in that direction to a high performance culture or you're moving fast or you're, you know, you're, um, you're leading the charge and you're, Focusing on innovation, it's so important to have that connection because you can lose, you can lose that. When you lose that connection to your team members, um, I think you, you lose a lot from a cultural perspective, an organization perspective. So, um, that's one of the reasons why and I think he's an interesting, he's an interesting character. Plus the guy's got, he's a space cowboy. 
Right. That's pretty so cool too. Even for that, that's that's just super cool, right? I can't say that. <laughs> All right. Last question. Want to make sure that our listeners uh, can can get connected and learn more about yourself and Talru. So, how can our listeners connect with you and learn more? You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Feel free to you know connect, ask questions. You can check us out at talru.com. Happy to uh, share more about our story. Um, or you can just send me an email at t price. P-R-I-C-E at Tauru.com. It's been great to be here this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Wish you all the best. Thank you so much. We will have all that information in the show notes. So open up your podcast player, click in, check it out. It's Tauru. It's T-A-L-R-O-O uh, dot com. A uh, bunch of great stuff on there. They do have a lot of solutions for some of the things we were talking about today. So I'll give you that final plug. Thad, thank you so much for spending some time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. And uh, Rebel on HR Rebels. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.